0: Welcome to the cinephile hissy fit podcast the tirade filled movie debate podcast hosted by two film critics two cool dads and two struggling teachers i'm don shanahan
1: and i'm I, you know, I, I was going to say some kind of clever Blade Runner-ish
0: name, but I couldn't think of one, so I'm William Johnson. That, that'll work. That'll work. We're damn glad to have you folks listening to this thing. This is all for tantrum's sake, where shared passions and high fives wash away any place for hate. In the end, we encourage you all to love what you love, but for now, the gloves are off and the hissy fit is on. This week, the booth gets a little bigger. Folks, we have our first official guest, we like to call them the tiebreaker. Today, we're going to talk about Blade Runner 1982, recommended kind of by the whole dais that's here today. Our format is this. The recommending lover is going to go first, and I'm pretty sure that's going to be will to start this off. They will get five uninterrupted minutes to shower their praise and state their high-minded case. The hater, which is not really me, but I'll still be second just because Will needs to get things off his chest. Um, The hater follows with five uninterrupted minutes of their own to present their counterpoints with any number of intellectual scorched earth, or any manner of it, I should say. After that, our guest today will get their five minutes to kind of put us both down. After that, we will open it up to an open shared discussion where the hissy fit hopefully gets really chippy. We hope you've got your judge's scorecard we brought in a tiebreaker. We brought in some heavy muscle here to kind of settle some of these debates so folks, let's go. Will, would you like to introduce our wonderful guest today?
1: I certainly will. He is a man of many talents, a writer, a singer, a great massage artist. Um, oh my gosh, I, I, I never mean, knew all this about him. Yeah, that's true, but he is from Phoenix, Arizona via some cold little hamlet in Wisconsin somewhere. His name is Ben calimer welcome ben
2: thank you both very much i really appreciate it uh you know i i i put on my replicant outfit for uh this uh this podcast uh i can't tell you how great it is to be amongst you um as will implied yes i am from a cold little hamlet in wisconsin called milwaukee Uh, I moved to the uh, furnace that is Phoenix. As a matter of fact, it's 110 degrees outside. Um, I'm a film critic. Um, I used to write for the Phoenix Film Festival, um, and I actually serve as the LGBTQ film film programmer for that festival. I also have my own website, The Movie Review, R-E-V-U-E. Yes, it's catchy. Um, and uh I've been <laughs> writing film reviews uh since about twenty fifteen and uh you know my my history in film is not uh as long as the arms of some of the other people we associate with um in uh filmdom uh film twitter as it's called mm. um I guess I'm not as picky as others, although I've become a lot more picky in the last year because of uh covid and not having enough movies to. Uh, to watch but i really like the independent films and blade runner is definitely right up my alley
0: now william you're kind of the guy who brought ben in here as the fellow phoenixian or whatever phoenician whatever we're supposed to call you clowns down in there in the furnace Um, how'd you two meet
1: uh well we uh i was trying to get into the film press circuit Thingamajig Uh, And actually Don you got me Ben's info
0: That's true true.
1: he, He ended up inviting me to a couple screenings Where we talked about in between The screenings and before the showings We would talk about Star Trek The Next Generation for uh, endless amounts of time uh, to, the, to the annoyance of probably everyone around us, but that's fine. Um, but, uh, no, we met, I remember we went to see, I think it was Downton Abbey was our first, uh, screening together. Um, and then you took me to Joker and then, uh, and then we just started becoming, uh, you know, film buds at that point Then the pandemic hit and I haven't really seen Ben since unfortunately. So it's been kind of a, it's been kind of lonely out there in the film screening land, but, um, yeah, Ben is, um, I mean, probably one of the most knowledgeable guys. And he'll call you on your bullshit, too. Like, uh,
0: You don't say, this guy sounds perfect for the show. But uh, it also sounds like this is all my fault for introducing you two together. Oh, great. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I know. I've gone on some rants about some of the stupid shit that I talk about. And Ben will sit there and go, "Eh, really? Uh," And then they'll they'll give me a 45-minute lecture on how wrong I am, which I appreciate because that (laughs) helps.
0: Ben, 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 are you free to do a, a podcast with a, with a fellow film critic from Chicago? Because I got some space here for a co-host. That uh, this sounds this sounds great. Call on bullshit. Okay, I like it. I like it. Um, hey, now, smart. very smart, very smart guy. Very smart. Now, now, Ben, remind me how did we intersect? Like, because through the great vine of film critics and film Twitter and Facebook and things like that, I'm trying to figure out like how we ran into each other. Like, which mutual friend or which mutual show we found each other on.
2: I seem to remember uh, uh, sorry if this sounds blunt but yeah um like every one of the other friends that I've made via Facebook I think it was just random interaction on uh-huh. one of the uh the groups mutual groups that we were a part of and right right um, the the inter- the uh conversations that you and I have had both in uh in public and in private have been uh, very spirited, and uh, you know, you and I seem to land quite a bit on the same page with respect to true. to movies and uh, things yeah, of that nature. You, you hear that, Will? Same page, man. I'm same not page. listening, I don't care. Yeah, I know that. All right, <laughs> gentlemen, I, I, I land on Will's page a lot too. That's true. Oh. Well, you know, you
0: know, every branch dressing needs to spill on some counter, so that's fine. That's not bad, absolutely. All right, so fellas, we are here for. Two episodes, we're going to split this up into two here, folks, so you'll hear all this intro and cute stuff again uh, in, in an hour, well, in a week, but you know how that's going to go. Today, we're talking about Ridley Scott's 1982 watershed, Blade Runner. The plan here is to talk about Blade Runner first and Blade Runner 2049 seconds. So, folks, we call that a teaser in the business to keep you here for not just this week, but for next week. So, Will, are you hmm. the man that's going to go first on this one? Yeah, I don't see why not. I can do right, that. five minutes and the dinger will ding. Let's see if you've done anything to you know keep a timer on your side so you know what you're doing. No, nope, I didn't, but that's okay. Um, okay so, okay. Uh, anyways, fire, fire away.
1: All right, so um, Blade Runner, 1982, as you called it, what it would technically be called Blade Runner 2019. This if is we true. Were being, if we were being very specific, um, is one of my all-time favorite films. I actually have Blade Runner uh, 1 and 2, as I'll call it, uh, in my top 10 all-time. And, and recently, Blade Runner 2049 entered my number one spot for the first time in about, mm, I'd say, about 10, 15 years. Um, you know, Heat was kind of the the, uh, the winner up there for a long time. Um, but we'll get into Blade Runner 2049 later. But Blade Runner, uh, the first one, directed by Ridley Scott. Um, there's a lot of things you got to put into context here. Um, hmm science fiction was in its rebirth, you know, um, star Wars was dominating the landscape cinematic landscape at that point, you know, return of the Jedi was about to come out the next year. Uh, I believe if my chronology is correct, um, you are correct. And yeah. And you've got, um, you know, you've, you've had all the star Wars derivatives that came out as well. Um, and as, as, as often the case with, something that changes the cultural zeitgeist um there's two kinds of filmmakers there's the ones who try to mimic and those who try to um change it um the reason why blade runner i think is such a big success and it wasn't and and the fact that it was not a you say it's a watershed moment um But I don't think it initially would be considered that because it was actually, I don't think it was really considered the classic it really was until the director's cut came out 10 years later. I think Um, you're right. That's my opinion. I don't know. But because the film was technically a box office, not disaster, but not a success. Mm -hmm. Um, And the reason for that is because unlike derivatives of Star Wars, which was, to be honest, Star Wars is an archetypal hero's journey type of story, um, and that's very easy to replicate. This was a film that tried to dig into philosophy. This is a a film that tries to dig into the essence of your being, the essence of your soul, which happens to be one of my favorite things uh, to examine, Um, whether it be Star Trek, which does it probably on a more fable-esque level, uh, or Blade Runner itself, which takes it to the extreme. Now, the the cool thing about it was this film looked just as good as the Star Wars of the world. Um, So what you had is, and this probably helped the marketing department, was you had this, what appeared to be this epic sci-fi scope, right? Um, You know, in the the opening shot of the film showing the uh, the fire stacks over this endless vista of depressing-looking L.A. in 2019, gives you that scope on a visual level so the film appeals to you on a visual level but what it does is it takes you down to the smallest moments of just even memories and moments in moments in the rain if you will uh memories in rain or whatever we're going to quote it i probably didn't quote it correctly but who cares the point is is that the film is about the small moments of humanity or that quest for humanity and to me i don't think that's a story audiences were ready to tackle. There's a reason why this film has grown over time because it's deep. It's deep. It's a deep film. And that's what attracts me the most. Is there some technical things here? Is there some willful ability to uh, mess with time a little bit and, and perhaps um, go on a little too long in some places? I don't mind that kind of thing. I'm a David Lynch fan, so I'm used to that kind of thing, but Yes, you could find flaws in it. You could go in with expectations thinking, oh, I can't wait to see this epic sci-fi yarn, and then you're getting philosophical discussions via the void Kampf test and what the existence of life is uh, for 125 minutes instead. So I think it all comes down to what your expectations are, what you sit to get out of it, and how it makes you feel in the end. Blade Runner is a film that I not only think about every day, But I also find something new in every viewing. And to me, that is the mark of a true cinematic masterpiece, in my opinion, of storytelling. So I'm going to end 30 seconds early because I don't have a timer. And thankfully, Don sent me a little thing that said 30 seconds. So I'm going to take as long as possible until the bell rings. (laughs) Good (laughs) enough.
0: Well done. Well done, Mr. Johnson. Look at you. Ben, did you slip him that little succinct dictionary definition? (laughs)
1: That's (laughs) tiny.
0: All right. I guess I got five minutes to go here next. All right. So, no, for me, I admit this movie did not start well for me in my my film, my filmdom, my career, whatever you want to call it like that. I watched this movie for the first time on a fucking football bus on a like a thirteen inch on a thirteen inch like charter bus screen on a football road trip to Tennessee. And like the um the assistant coach, this is my freshman year of high school. So or freshman year of college, it'd be like nineteen ninety seven, nineteen ninety eight. And uh and it was uh He's like, dude, this movie fucking rocks. You know, he was the offensive line coach. He was like a grad assistant. So he was like 22 years old. And on a football bus, of dudes who are, you know, taking a 14-hour road trip for a football game on a, Friday, on a Friday afternoon. Blade Runner probably isn't the, you know, the bus movie you're really going for. The sound is shitty. The picture is small as can be. I'm four seats away. I, all I can see is the damn rain and flickering lights here and there. So I did not have a good experience. It was obviously like a VHS tape director's cut or like likely previous cut of it from back in the day with the Harrison Ford voiceover and all that. It just, it did not get a good first impression for me. But I'm with you, Will. Every time I watch this movie, I get something else and I get something more, whether it's something to be impressed at from a filmmaking standpoint, something to be impressed by from a stylistic standpoint, or like you're saying, a philosophical or bigger picture standpoint. The complexity of this movie is really, really outstanding. I'm not surprised its headiness was too big for its time and too big for its critics, and I'm not surprised that that headiness isn't the kind of it has been the cream that rises to the top. Because this movie, yeah, I tell you what, I mean, if Ridley Scott didn't have Gladiator and a few other things that you can kind of go, well, that's pretty good right there. Because I'm one of those, we've talked about this a little bit, and Ben can knows where I'm at with other film groups. Where I get, you know, I'm the masterpiece cop. But uh, you know, if, if a director gets one masterpiece, man, I think I'm putting this one above a few other things. I love Black Hawk Down. I love Gladiator. And Alien does things that other movies couldn't try to do. But this, this movie's something special, and it's really impressive in that way. What I love about it more than anything as a guy who since you know coming back to the movie after the fucking football bus is um i love the noir you know take on it the the rainy noir the futuristic noir i love the compelling character that harrison ford creates and really interesting you know different shades of gray villains whether it's you know Terrell from the you know the the executive suite kind of level stuff or just rugger howard and daryl hannah and the in the different replicants that they were chasing i just really enjoy the different styles of characters they put in this movie and how they mashed them together with all these floating around philosophies and and that's one thing and we're going to talk about this in a different time in you know an hour from now but that's something i feel like the sequel fails that that you just don't have that kind of compelling characters because this is a movie it's tight. It's two hours. It, it's thrilling. Uh, it's fascinating to watch and look at. Where the movie looks great, but it backs it up with excellent story arcs and something going on there. Is it? Is it? Can it be boring? Yes, I think it can be. Like I, I admit, the second time I saw it, I was bored, and I you know it's it took me getting back into it more and more to be like you know what, the more I pick up and the more I notice, there's a lot more going on than just the boredom here that I need to pay attention to and last night I watched it I watched the final cut for the first time and man one, it looks great on a big television for a change because it beats the football bus and whatever they've done to restore it since then in its 1080p quality, I don't know if it's made it to 4k yet but it looks like a zillion bucks and The more and more that they've tinkered with this movie, I'm really happy with how it turned out because I think the director's cut is where my first experience came from it or likely even just the shitty VHS version. But what they've got now is very taut, clean as a whistle in terms of aesthetics, and I cannot help but be impressed every step I watch it. Is it something that I that I put a big pedestal for, like as an all timer that I always come back to as a personal favorite? No, I don't. You know, I'm not saying this is a forgettable movie in any kind of way, but it's you know it's not a favorite for me. It's not something I'm going to pull off the shelf. Um, it's something I immensely respect and really point to. And I, yeah, I called it a watershed, and I think it has stood that test of time to be so. Um, I wish it, it it pinged more for me. It's like a personal favorite, but with time, it can keep growing and doing that. And just like you, I've got 10 seconds left to drag and belabor the last little point before the bell.
1: So, so that was uh, the hater version?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, I admit, I, I came to it, I came to this movie from a place of hate. I found it boring for a long time. Last night's rewatch really kicked it up a notch for me where it's, it's saving itself every time I watch it. And I'm very okay with that. But I, and I will call it an all timer in terms of sci-fi and things like that. I'll never pull it off the shelf and go, Hey guys, you know what movie I really love It's fucking Blade Runner. I just, it's just, it's a little too ostentatious to, for me to pull it off. Yeah. I'm going to watch independence day, but from gonna watch Blade Runner every single time, give me the, I'll be the Marvel show of the room. Give me the, the shiny, awesome toy more than the rainy, smeared, violent thing.
1: Well, that, that, I take that as a threat because I have to either defend <laughs> that or I have to either defend that take or fight against it. And I'm not sure how <laughs> to react to that. So thank you for confusing me. My replicate brain is short-circuited. So,
0: <laughs> you're, Well, you're welcome. That's, that's a show first right there, 16 episodes. And Ben, the final five minutes... Whether it's tiebreaker, whether it's pile on, I don't know if there's much tiebreaking we need. Celebrate your five minutes right here, right now.
2: Thank you. Uh, oh. I, I'm, I'm going to take a step back in history. Uh, the first time that I saw even an inch of Blade Runner was on a VHS cassette on probably a 27-inch TV at the time, somewhere around 1983, 1984. And I only saw a few minutes of the movie, but, you know, even as a five-year-old kid, um, six-year-old kid uh yes uh i was watching r-rated movies when i was that young apparently Atta boy. <laughs> um something drew me into the movie uh i couldn't tell you what it was but i was just impressed and i only got to watch a, a small snippet of it uh flash forward to 1994 1995 when i was at college and um, call, uh, the, the campus carried a, a movie channel where they, uh, screened on a schedule, um, uh, a series of films and Blade Runner happened to be one of them. And it was the original theatrical cut. And I sat there and I watched it. And like you, Don, uh, there were moments at that age where it bored me. Uh, mm-hmm. it was a little too long in the tooth in some areas, Uh, a lot of exposition without a lot of explanation. Um, You know, I walked away from watching that, uh, not feeling very sure about myself in relation to the movie, but I think that's part of its intent. The other part, though, is that uh, my dad came up to visit me one year. Uh, I think I turned 21. It was Parents' Weekend. Uh, We went to the bar for the first time, and I ordered Sex on the Beach because I was <laughs> asked what kind of a drink I wanted and I didn't know. So that was the first thing that popped into my head. And then he took me shopping for movies for my birthday. And I happened to have picked out uh, then the director's cut of the version, uh, in uh, which was out in 1992. And uh, uh, he and I started watching it and I could tell that it was not his cup of tea. But... By the time we started watching it and I got through it, uh, it it was something that I just fell in love with uh, because the characters are so rich. the environment is so rich. The tactile and technical details that the film evokes uh, are so strong. Um, it's not something that you can entirely relate to because it's in the future, but the uh, the atmosphere that the film creates. Uh, and the environment uh, that it creates is uh, not something so far-fetched with the way we humans are treating our Mother Earth. And um, it was it was very uh, uh, forward-thinking in terms of how big corporations were going to supersede government. I, I mean, if you really think about it. There's no government influence in the movie. It's all big corporations. Yes, there are laws, there are rules uh, that uh, if the replicants replicants violate them, uh, they'll be terminated. That's the whole point of the movie. But the other thing to fast backward into 1982 when the movie came out, people didn't want to think about a dystopian future, right? They were too busy living in the moment of the gas, gas shortage problems and the hyperinflation that was happening, Uh, you know, they were feeling exactly what the movie was, was depicting and it wasn't a very comfortable feeling. And so I, I think that's one of the reasons uh, also because it was a heady sci-fi film. uh, They, they didn't want to stare into the looking glass, so to speak, and uh, see what it was that they were living at that moment and uh it's um you know i've i've watched the movie multiple times over the years uh we have to remember that there was a theatrical theatrical cut that ridley scott did not have control over um the producers uh went in and uh assumed creative control i think it might have been contractual uh but Uh, they were the ones who forced the rather monotonous voiceover uh, Mm -hmm. that uh, Harrison Ford does. You could tell Harrison Ford just wasn't into doing that voiceover. But uh, as Uh. striking as the visuals were, uh, it was, um, uh, you know, it's just an awe-inspiring movie. It makes you think. And I think my time might be up. And if not, um, we'll just sit here and think about Vangelis's uh, amazing score for that film.
0: Not bad. You put hit the mark pretty good. No, right.
1: Harrison Ford definitely did not like it. If you if you are a nerd like me and watch the four hour making of Blade Runner documentary that came with the final cut Damn. on the on the five disc DVD, they Damn. actually have they actually have recording sessions from the voiceover in which you can hear Harrison Ford deliver the line, like a great actor that he is. And then you can hear like something fall down as if he threw something and said, guys, this is fucking weird. Like he's, he really hated the, Mm -hmm. uh, the, uh,
0: uh, voiceover. (laughs) I I mean, I get why too. I mean, it's just, I remember hearing watching the cut with the voiceover and it's, I know that's kind of the film noir thing where you feel like you're watching a Humphrey Bogart thing, but it doesn't play in this dystopian thing. It would play in a different place, but nah, man, it's yeah. I'm glad they glad that since been cut. Yeah, definitely, so, it's, it's it's not great. So bouncing around the room here, we we've got three three lovers and a couple of people who were you know late bloomers into this movie. So it's 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 a fun fun place to be. No, I, I count this as a victory for me because last <laughs> last
1: night, last night, Don posted on his Facebook that he was yeah. watching it for podcast homework, and I he did. was being he was being a little shit like he usually is. <laughs> and I was basically telling him, "He's like, I'll see if I can stay awake." <laughs> and oh, yeah. what do you know, you come on this episode expecting to be the hater, and you're a lover now. So you yeah, know what? Yeah, no, 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 I win. No.
0: Yeah, that'll, the movie one. You didn't do shit. But in the meantime, <laughs> no. The, um, I tell you what. The credit to this is, um, and and we come, We're in a year with Zack Snyder getting his tinkering way of, of of Justice League, and we're you know we're in a reality where things get tinkered with by studios. Things get retinkered and restored by directors. We've seen director's cuts, you know, show up here and there on, in the DVD realm of things over the last twenty years, and those things can be hit and miss, but this is one where, man, I'm glad they've taken the time to re- restore this, you know, clean it up, and then also really Scott to kind of hone and shape the vision that this movie could be. And it makes me wonder. And I know it's a it's a slippery slope and a dangerous thing when you do this because I think there are, and Zack Snyder is that guy who's unfortunately is the example at the moment where you, when you give when you take away artistic freedom, it sucks because maybe something good is supposed to come out as something from the people who have the heart and the, and the stock in it versus the, the studios who are just trying to make a buck. But then at the same time, I do feel like when there's a collaborative approach in the right kind of way between studio filmmakers, all the different technicians and artists that are in a film that there, there is some reining in that is possible and sometimes necessary for different films. And as much as I, I'll call Justice League, for example, an improvement from the shit that it was with Josh Whedon and, and chopping it up in the circumstances, which of course are horrible. You know, for what Zach had to do to depart that film. But when I watch the four-hour cut and go, dude, okay, I get it. You got you got the money to fill in and do what you want to do. But hey, man, just dial it back a little bit, trim 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 the fat. And that's the fun part about this for Ridley is this is sharpening a knife and i love it because like it's it's become this is a great example of where tinkering doesn't have to be severe but it can be with a scalpel instead of a machete or with you know small little botox injections instead of liposuction and you can get a lot out of it
2: yeah go ahead man go ahead what's interesting about blade runner's history is that uh, the audience discovered it Uh, because of the underground um, screenings of the work print version which is a part of that five disc set that Will mentioned and uh, it was because people fell in uh, the work print version omits the um, voiceover it restores the unicorn scene Uh, Mm -hmm. there are a number of other um, additions but Uh, people fell in love with that version when they could see it and that was the whole reason why uh, Warner Brothers gave Ridley Scott the opportunity to do his director's cut in 1992 and you know I might be misremembering a couple of things but uh, the important thing to remember is that uh, this was an independently produced film I don't know if it falls under the same auspices as Superman with the Cell Kinds uh mm-hmm. where they put the money up and Warner Brothers just released the film. Uh right right yeah. Blade Runner uh um suffered theatrically uh under the same set of circumstances and it was only because of the audience that uh it has a second life and uh audiences have had an opportunity to cherish each version um you know when i I did a double feature, I took the risk and I did a double feature earlier this week of both films and i hadn't i know i know we're not talking about blade runner twenty forty nine but I hadn't seen it since um theater in twenty seventeen even though I've had it on four k disc since it came out in twenty eighteen um but the Uh, I watched the final cut just like you did. It is on 4K. It looks and sounds amazing. It's not Mm -hmm. the first time that I've seen it. But the common comment that I've gotten uh, off my Facebook post was that the uh, um, work print version, I think, is the fans' most preferred version of the film. And it's rough on disc. But, you know, we have it and it's out there um i think uh don't don't hold a uh a gun to my head to this but i think the work print version remains my favorite um okay because i it, it's the most complete version that ridley scott had intended
1: yeah no i i agree with that i think this is I have. I think I've maybe seen the uh, voiceover cut or whatever you want to call that, theatrical cut, only once. I've seen the director's cut a trillion times, and the and the, and the uh, final cut a few times as well. I bought the uh, DVD box set that came out with it, which came in a briefcase, yes, and mm-hmm. came with like a like a spinner doll and all kinds of stuff. Um, so I definitely bought that. But um, the the weather. The, the One of the things we need to talk about with the Blade Runner, like you said, with the director's cut, the final cut, the work print cut, they're all out there for anyone to discover and appreciate. Now, that's the thing that has has been tough for me with the Star Wars re-releases is mm-hmm. because if you prefer the originals that don't have weird dancing baboons in them and all kinds of crazy stuff, <laughs> you you don't get the option to watch the originals. So that's true. the great thing about Blade Runner is you can any any version you like, it's out there. You can watch it, and that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that's what I think is is one of the great things about Blade Runner is it's always going to keep the story of Blade Runner alive from a filmmaking perspective because you're yeah. always going to have well, I like the work cut because of this, and I like the theatrical because of this, and I like the director's cut because of that, and you'll you'll kind of always have something to talk about. And I, I love that idea that I can meet people. Uh, I mean, Ben is probably the first person I've met. I just confirmed it, that likes to work print cut the best. I've never met anybody that does. Usually they're theatrical directors. is kind of the main. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I uh, run into battle. that too.
1: Yeah. But that's, see, that's awesome because now we have different perspectives on a story, you know, um, that we can see and appreciate, you know, without
2: it being forced down our throats, you know? I might lose your audience at this moment, but I don't mind the special editions of Star Wars. What Me I too. do same here. What I Love okay, good. Thank you. What I do mind though is that um the tinking uh sorry, the tweaking and the tinkering that uh Lucas started with the special editions and then Disney has done uh since they released it digitally and then on disk. Um, mm-hmm. there is not a consistent version of star wars save for the theatrical cuts um since 1997 and what i what i admire about the special editions is that uh the um it was a testbed for the cgi work that was going to be done in the prequel films and I happen to have caught Phantom Menace the other day, and i I get why people don't like it but uh it's i i think I think Lucas is a much more gifted storyteller than people generally give him credit for I agree. and uh i think i think it's it's fandom who uh ruined my appetite for star wars but Made my appreciation for Blade Runner grow that much more. Fandom has a funny way of doing things to films.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I agree. No, I'm did. the same way. I, I I'm not a Star Wars person anymore. I used to be, um, but uh, yeah, the fandom does change that stuff a lot. I, and you know what? I, I thought we were all getting along on this. Podcast, and then you both have to defend the special editions. Fine, <laughs> you're, you're you're wrong, that's okay, it's okay to be <laughs> wrong. Uh, but, anyways, your point is made is that yes, I think that the Blade Runner fandom is pretty, um, I would say a little bit more, um, um realistic, cerebral. That's realistic, a good way of putting
0: it, two good but, words, though.
1: yeah. Um, but you know. It, there's also that fact that you have all the versions available. So no one has to cry in their milk that yeah. they don't get to see the one that they like. They get to yeah. see them all. So that's Fair great. Point.
0: Fair point. They're,
2: they're, they're going to push their favorite version, though. And sure. I think, I, think, I think where I draw the line in that is that each version of the film is so unique and different that there's something to appreciate mm-hmm. and something to abhor in all of them that you can have this type of discussion but um man i just i love this film Mm -hmm. yep it was a couple of facts about the film uh it looks like in 1993 it
1: was selected for preservation in the u.s national film registry because it was considered quote culturally historically or aesthetically significant Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's it so that's a big that's a big one there. Um, just curious,
2: has anyone read the book?
0: No, I have not. I, I've done some some Philip K. Dick reading on audiobook and things like that, but I haven't made it to this one.
2: I've I've got the book in my lab, library or collection somewhere. I have not read it yet. I have
1: read it, and um,
0: whoa, 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 whoa! You read?
1: Okay. I'm an English teacher. I read for a living. Oh, basically.
0: okay, okay. I start with this that, reading man. crap. Don't um, we do that. Okay, okay.
1: Yes. No. Um. The the book is. Um. I would say that the film, it's very similar to what happened with The Shining, with Stephen King. It's it's more. The book is more of a. Um. Uh. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, it's kind of giving its essence to the movie, but the movie is its own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the book is very different
2: from what
0: the and that's film is. Right?
2: Yeah. Uh, uh, vi- and that's okay. Sorry, a, a very similar hap- a thing happened uh, when they adapted uh, Philip K. Dick, uh, Dick's book for uh, Total Recall.
0: Mm, yes, different. true. Yeah, that book I've read, you know, and that, yeah, it's completely different than the movies. Even the film <laughs> yeah.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. It's it's a good book. I recommend reading it if you haven't read it. It's very good. Um, but uh, if you're reading it expecting to get Blade Runner, you will be grossly disappointed. <laughs> so, okay, yeah, yeah.
2: Oh, I was also no. going to
1: say, Don. I was also going to say that mm-hmm. um, there was a comic version. Of right. I do like out. I
0: do like colorful pictures. That's my speed. It, it
1: was it, it was a uh, Marvel release. They released a uh, 45, 45 page adaptation of it. Okay. Um, and it was had art by Jim Steranko and was written by Marvel and DC legend Archie Goodwin. So that's, that's it's nice actually care. it's actually one of the hardest um, trade paperbacks to find in Marvel history.
0: The library will win that one sounds, sounds good no um from a filmmaking standpoint, and I know this will be a point of debate in the next show when we get to the, the art and aesthetics of twenty forty nine but uh no I, I for for its time, especially coming out of things like Star Wars and even the same year as tron the the neo futuristic production design done by lawrence g paul is is nice. outstanding it's chef kiss good you know and and the fun part is you. Sometimes, and this happens plenty in different movies, especially in the science fiction genre, that shiny and glossy looks great from time to time. But if you can put futuristic into Dinge, that's a, a heightened and different challenge. And man, did he nail this. Uh, rightfully nominated for the Academy Award that year. I don't know what it lost to. I'm going to look that up here in a second because I'm curious enough that of the 82 or the 83 Oscars here. But uh, yeah, good stuff.
1: Yeah, um, you know, Ridley had said that he really loved the used future of um, mm-hmm. Star Wars, and that he very clearly used that in um, Alien, and then obviously he continued that here. And we'll talk about that in Blade Runner 2049, yeah. but there's actually something that they did with the Uh, Continuation of the technology in the sequel that Mm -hmm. is brilliant in itself, but we'll talk about. Oh sure.
0: By the way, Oscar wise, it lost uh, art direction and production design to Gandhi. So fuck off, Gandhi.
1: (laughs) 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 Fuck you,
2: Gandhi. Come on, man.
0: Didn't you win enough Oscars that year, Gandhi? Because it did. Get out of here.
2: I, I I you know, Gandhi is sitting on a pile of my epics that I want to watch that I've never seen. So mm-hmm. uh you you've you've already soured my taste for the movie going into it because it, it won against Blade Runner. I mean mm-hmm. geez.
0: Yeah, I I mean 82 hell of a year for sci-fi because you have Tron, you have E.T. You have the thing, you've got Star Trek 2 Wrath Khan amazing year when people do the whole 1939 1999 some of those years of great cinema i pull up 82 because you still have all that sci-fi you know gandhi ain't bad you still have an epic like reds that warren beatty did tootsie stands on its own in a lot of different levels sophie's choice is amazing and then you got the box office stuff of like poltergeist and uh you have rocky 3 porkies you know there's forty eight hours you know Annie, you have a great year in eighty two and, and Blade yes. Runner's a piece of that, so
1: yep absolutely
0: so I mean fellas, where else do you kind of want to talk here because I mean we're coming up on a on a nice little nice little tiny time of episode the,
1: the thing about the thing about Blade Runner is you could talk you could make a whole podcast series out of talking about Blade Runner. you could turn it down, um, so I feel like we didn't give it enough enough well information, here I'll. But, I'll, you know,
0: I'll say I'll segue it into a big question here. So, and I'm going to point this to my co-host, Will, here. Will, you put this way up there in, in, a, in a list because of its philosophy and because of the, the human nature part of it. And I admit, in you know, doing the Wikipedia history of doing some research on it last night, a lot of the critics of its time, you know, the, uh, the Roger Eberts and the, uh, the Richard Sheckles and the, you know, the folks of that era, they felt like the human story is thin. What, how would you debate them in return on something like that?
1: Um, I actually, and I want to hear Ben's take on this as well. I I um, disagree wholeheartedly because um, the characters themselves, because it's 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 human on a deeper level.
0: Mm-hmm. It,
1: it's about the essence of being human itself, you know. And I think that the um, when you have a character like Deckard, played by Harrison Ford, who is Uh, The the debate is out there whether he's a replicant or not, Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, in this film anyway. Um, Then you have Rachel, who's got implanted memories and has feelings and can live, I believe, if I remember correctly, her her replicant can live forever. Is that correct? Or live a a lifetime? Yes. Okay. Uh, And then you have the replicants, the replicants who know they're not human but desire to be human have feelings can feel pain they feel lost they have memories that like they said will be lost in the rain to me that's the most powerful human story you can have mm-hmm. um I understand maybe on a dramatic level you're not feeling the Deckard and Rachel love you know maybe that's not too strong
0: right right uh, maybe, I think that's maybe, a knock I I've heard that knock before as well
1: yeah maybe had, deckard, had it myself deckard too maybe deckard isn't the you know uh most three-dimensional character or the most emotional character mm-hmm. but but the but you, what you have is you have that inner you have that dialogue of humanity and i think that makes up for any typical archetypal types of relationships because what is more human than well you know, they even say it in the movie, more human than human.
2: Mm-hmm. What is
1: more human than the, the idea? Like, if a memory is not yours, but it's still yours, and you relate to it, you know, how does how far away does that make you human? You know what I mean? I just, it's, it's hard to die, put into, like, a simple statement, but I, I think it's one of the most human stories of all.
0: Ben, where do you go with that?
2: Um, I think the finality of life and the limited span of the next six replicants uh, is probably its most quintessential element. Mm -hmm. uh, Because you are, even though you have these memories, even though you can relate to them, your life will cease. And I, I think one of the things that I reflect on the most about the film is that it feels very rote. And not necessarily in a bad way. Uh, It's very mechanical. And Mm -hmm. that is in keeping with the spirit of the characters and how they interact with each other and how they interact with the humans. Uh, If you think about um, uh, uh, Eldon Tyrell and you think about um, Gaff and you think about... uh, oh i'm trying to think of of um william sanderson's character mm-hmm. um, Sebast-
1: sebastian, sebastian. yeah you, yeah
2: sebastian sebastian is fallible he's a human who um can't go off world because he has medical condition right um eldon tyrell is old um he's very comfortable in his surroundings Um, neither one reflects on uh, a fast or an accelerated life the other one relishes in life but creates life a, a mechanical life and puts a an end date if you will end of life date and can't alter it and can't change it but he's done that with rachel rachel will outlive all of us Theoretically.
1: Right, right. Mm-hmm.
2: And so I think when when your characters are forced to think about the finality of their lives and the memories that they were implanted with, there's not necessarily an equation in my mind that the two intersect. And yet the movie aims and hits the target, the bullseye, to bring the two together. And I think um along with Will's comments that's really what makes the film uh more human than human um, yeah. and i'm i'm going to leave myself with a little little tidbit here uh do either of you know where the name of the film came from no sir uh it's based on a william s poro's uh um name of a uh um it, it actually came from William, William S. Burroughs in the mid to late seventies, uh, based on another treatment uh, that had a very similar tone and landscape to uh, to the movie that we got.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I, I tell you what, like to to hearing both of you guys talk philosophy and, and go deep with it, I admit that, like I said, the movie's growing on me. It gets better with time, and um, on my rewatch last night, the. The character that really stood out to me, and it's and it's and, and it's a factor we'll talk about in the next show that I feel like is lacking in the sequel, is Rugger Hauer's character. It's just fantastic, and you put that actor in that position, you give him those monologues, but you deliver him with that character, with like you said, that ticking clock of mortality, yet artificial mortality. Yep. And you put that up against you know a bite scratching, bite scratching claw Harrison Ford who's just trying to get through this and and figure out his own thing in but you have this you know the frantic speed of which Harrison's tra- in that big confrontation the frantic speed in which Harrison's trying to just like I said bite scratch and claw to stay alive and yet you have a guy with a ticking clock who isn't and and is sa- savoring even the worst of his time yeah. and I I dug that like that those those thematic pieces really came into play and helped out a ton this time around for me and i it just it, yeah just i could see this movie continuing to climb the charts for me with time will it will ever be a stone cold amazing favorite no probably not but uh it'll be something i i, I quickly reference and respect and, and enjoy where i can so it's I, not bad i think um
2: uh i think our level of knowledge our experiences as humans influence and shape our perception of the film too. That's you true. Know, I, I saw it when I was younger. I was uh, drawn in by the visuals. And even when I saw it in college, you know, it, it didn't hit me over the head like a ball peen hammer, but there was something enough in the film for me to want to watch it again. And that to me is the mark of a really good film. Um, one other thing that I would add is that Rutger Hauer actually wrote that last bit of monologue. Mm. Um and he presented it to Ridley Scott, I think, on the day that they were going to shoot and um Ridley went with it and i think it's it's poetic it's beautiful uh and it really sums up the film
0: i think the nice part and we'll get to this when we get to twenty forty nine but uh to have hampton fancher you know be there for this one and come back for twenty seventeen to make twenty forty nine it's it's helpful in terms of some unity and i i know the uh the second uh, screenplay credit given here is is david peoples who went on to do unforgiven and 12 monkeys and and he you know obviously he's he's done well where he feels like a more of a polished artist than than something like fancher who really dug in so
2: that's that's why they brought him in
0: yeah and, and we've seen that and uh, credited and uncredited in many hollywood places so yeah now for you where i don't know how much of a ranking kind of guy you are but where does this sit in your ridley scott list
2: uh I'm not a ranking guy, uh, but I will tell you, I bought the movie poster and it's hanging up on my wall. So uh, I would say that it ranks highly. uh, All right. Not
0: bad. We know it's Will's number one, really, Scott, for sure. And it sounds like it's your number one, really, Scott. I'm that guy who I admit Blackhawk down. It's more, the more I circle around that, the more I go, gosh, that's really something. I know it's not, it doesn't go to a heady place that this one does. And it doesn't, revitalize genres the way but it might just just in terms of construction is its best but yeah Ben. um so while wills figures out how to kind of return here for a second i'll kind of get us to the closing and all that but ben i want to say on behalf of will thank you so much for having us hey for, i'm um, back hey i was just <laughs> about to thank ben for his time so closing thoughts for you miss real quick i was just gonna say
1: another book before there was the internet we had a book by Paul M. Salmon called *Future Noir: The Making of Blade Runner*, and if you ever want to know every single thing, like I'm talking about, like what the crewman ate for lunch every day, kind oh of detail, that book is phenomenal. Uh, so All check right. that out.
0: I will. 467 pages. God damn! All right, I don't see what <laughs> I can do. Ooh, that's a lot of reading. Sounds good though. All right, so will. Um, well, first things first, Ben, once again, thank you uh it's been so nice to you know open this up to a tiebreaker and a guest, and uh I'll pass it to will for either outros or or say you know drop the pitches and the plugs, whatever you need here yeah let's let's
1: do uh, let's do some plugs first Ben um, just in case everyone hated me and Don and loves you which makes sense and they don't listen to the next episode why don't you drop some of your links and uh, where we can find you your Twitters your your Instagrams all that fun stuff
2: uh, so I'm on uh, Facebook uh, I know I'm on Twitter uh, I closed Facebook because I didn't want to be interrupted while we were doing this but you can find me on Facebook uh, under Ben and on Twitter, I believe you can find me under B Calamer. Uh C A H L A M E R. Just in case anyone wants to put a hit out on me because I wore my replicant suit to this podcast. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and now, you like the special editions because you're weird, of course, uh, of Star Wars. Uh, <laughs> Yes, you, um, You. Uh, I know that like Don, you're not a huge Twitter person yet. Um, so we're, we're going to work there's on it.
0: No the, there's, there's no, no yet there. with me. I, I will keep fading from Twitter as the years goes on. I, I post my work and I call it a day. No <laughs> cesspool hey, from but me. Fi-
1: but film Twitter is such a nice accepting place.
0: I'll pass things. <laughs> All right. We'll read us some outro and we'll get to the next one. Sure. Speaking of Twitter, follow us on Twitter at
1: Cinephile Fitz. And if you just heard what Don just said, you know that it's me on the mm-hmm. account and not Don. Uh, also, follow us on Facebook at Cinephile Hissy Fitz Podcast. Also, find us both on Letterboxd. Uh, ben, are you on Letterboxd as well? I am. Okay. What's your name on there?
2: Uh, I believe it's Ben Callimer, but, uh, you know, I will. Uh i will get it for when we outro um oh god um from when we outro uh 2049
1: all right maybe just maybe we will be posting a poll matching this episodes for you listeners to weigh in on who you think made the most compelling argument to win this cinephile hissy fit even though we i think all three of us were lovers um Thank you so much for your captive audience and social media participation. Cinephile Hissy Fits is a 25YL media podcast brought to you by ruminationsradionetwork.com. Please visit, rate, review, and subscribe. If you enjoyed this show, we have more where that came from with interesting hosts and more wonderful guests, including next week when Ben returns. All available on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you find your favorite shows.
0: Gentlemen, this was awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. You know what they all say. Fantasy football is like a box of chocolates. And I know you, you love fantasy football, and you love chocolates. Well, 25 Yards Later is a fantasy football podcast with top-notch analysis, earworm music, and plenty of laughs. Each week, we dive deep into four games, putting every fantasy-relevant and occasionally fantasy-irrelevant player under a microscope. Block out all the haters with 25 Yards Later, available wherever you get your podcasts, but maybe not where you get your chocolates.